0: Now we had talked about as so we began in chapter 14. It's about doubtful things or questionable things that Christians do. It's like uh, dancing. You know, they asked Javer and McGee, "Can Christians dance?" And he said, "Some can and some can't." <laughs> <clears throat> and of course people ask about smoking will you go to hell if you smoke well it's a doubtful thing but one thing's for sure is they'll smell like they've been there <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so is it a good thing or not a good thing well it, it does it's a gray area and there's a lot of them I know Jay Vernon McGee talked about He'd wasted several years of his ministry when he would go out and preach. One of his sermons is always on hats, you know, if you have a wrong kind of hat to wear and there's right kind of hats to wear. And uh, if you wear a gangster looking hat, you know, and of course, this is way back in the thirties and forties, he preached it. And and it, it was a waste of time, of course. So if it is a doubtful thing, again, it says in verse one, to receive that brother, receive one who is weak in his faith but not to disputes over doubtful things. So again, we're not to argue over those things. We're just to say, well, we don't see eye to eye. I think I feel very strongly that this is wrong. They say, well, I don't think it's probably the best thing in the world to do, but I I don't feel convicted over it yet. Don't make it an issue. Now, the temptation is, is to want to say, well, you're not as good as a Christian as I am. Because if you were as good as Christian as I would, you know, I was. I'm a good Christian. I stopped smoking. If you were a good Christian, you would also stop smoking. Um, whether that's true or not, again, the spirit in which the conversation is going on is wrong. We're not to be divisive over questionable things. Now, if somebody says, "Well, I'm not convicted. You know, I'm living with somebody," and and. Uh, and they're not married, and you know, I don't feel convicted about it, uh, I would say it's because you're not born again. Non-Christians don't feel convicted over sin, but that's sin. That's not a doubtful thing. It's very clear in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't be deceived. Fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not a doubtful thing. It's a very clear thing. So if you're dealing something like on drunkenness, well, I get drunk. Uh, that's a sin. There's, there's It's not a questionable issue and so but if it is a questionable issue it's something that's not clear in the bible again um, don't be argumentative over it you have a conviction in your heart stay with that conviction and the other thing is he says don't try to move somebody from their conviction as we're going to go on don't don't try to move somebody if somebody's very convicted that smoking is wrong and they do not smoke, don't say, oh, come on, give it a try. You know, you'll see it's not that big of a deal. Or if they are very much against drinking, don't say, oh, come on, one beer, one beer with me. I mean, come on. You don't do those kind of things. If they're already convinced in their hearts, if you try to move them, you are now going to cause them to sin. So we're going to see at the very end, if somebody does have a conviction on that and they go ahead and do it, it is sin for them. Because God has clearly showed them. So we all have, there's no sin that's not common to all men, but not everybody's body is the same. Some people's minds and bodies stumble at certain things that other people don't stumble over. And so therefore, if your body or your mind stumbles over something, God has clearly put in your heart, it's sin, it's horrible, it's wrong, and, and, and man, you just don't understand how anybody does it. But for you, absolutely, there's no way you could stay with that conviction. That is God helping you to overcome your flesh. That's God helping you to keep your flesh under. And so to you, it's this humongous, horrible, wrong thing. But here's another brother in the Lord who doesn't think it's a wrong thing. You keep your eyes on the Lord. It is a horrible, big, wrong thing. Because God is dealing with you and your body, and, and for you to keep your flesh under, you need to see that is wrong. So stay with that conviction. Now, in particular here tonight, he says in verse 2, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. That's referring spiritually weak. Um, physically, you know, we eat a lot of wrong things. And if we ate only vegetables, we would probably be stronger Physically. But spiritually again, if he eats meat, it's going to bother him. In verse three, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So it's a big giant issue. You can't eat meat. That's that's sinful. That's wrong. You should only eat vegetables. That's the only way, that's the only diet you should have. It's a big giant issue. And and Paul, as we're going to get here, he's saying, you know, I understand your conviction on it. Keep it. But in the scheme of things, I don't think it's really going to make a big deal of difference in the weight of eternity what you ate. As uh, a matter of fact, in verse 14, going on this very point, he says, we'll skip over to verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with uh, your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your food be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by God. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So again, if it's already conviction to him, then it is a sin. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So Paul is saying by the Holy Spirit there is really nothing unclean or clean in itself. Now if you look over the book of Acts chapter 10, turn there if you would. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision. He was hungry, it was dinner time, he went up to the top of his house to pray about the sixth hour. And in verse 10 of chapter 10, Acts 10 verse 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Now, this is a hunter's dream. You know, you see all these great wild animals right there, you got your 30-06, and the Lord says, do it, go for it, shoot. And, uh, But Peter, he said, it's always so funny, not so, Lord. It's just, it's a contradictory statement, isn't it? You don't tell the Lord not so. If he's really the Lord, you can't say not so to him. But again, this is Peter in his own religion, and and the Lord's trying to break him away from that false religion in which the Pharisees had made. And he says, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean, And a voice spoke to him again and said the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. This was done three times. Now, three was a sore number with Peter uh, for obvious reasons. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, a Gentile, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, "'Behold, three men are seeking you. "'Arise therefore, go down and go with them, "'doubting nothing, for I have sent them.' Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, "'Yes, I am he whom you seek, For what reason have you come? Now, these are Gentiles. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them on the next day. Now, again, having Gentiles in your house spending the night was something Peter never would have done. But on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. And Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. So now Peter is touching him, something a Jew would not do. He touches Cornelius, picking him up. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go in or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, What reason have you sent for me? And so Peter at this time wasn't so certain that um, uh, Gentiles could be saved, although he knew that God got him that far inside the Gentiles' house. And so here, the Lord clearly said, What I call clean is clean. So don't call something unclean that I have now called clean. If you go back in the Old Testament, the Lord is quite explicit about the law of Moses being for the Jewish people. Not so with the Ten Commandments. It says, now here is the law of God, and it gives it. But when it comes to the dietary laws, when it comes to the ceremonial laws, when it comes to the Sabbath day laws, all of them are explicitly to the Jewish people. And now the Lord, again, didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it, and since he's fulfilled the law, there's no need for them to keep their Jewish distinctiveness, because what was the Jewish distinctiveness for? It was to make sure that the lineage uh, of Christ would come through the lineage of Judah from the tribe of Judah, and so they had to keep their tribal identity. So when it came through the lineage of Judah, they could say that is the Messiah. And if you go back with the Jewish history, when did that break down where they don't know what tribe they're of anymore 70 a.d christ raised from the dead uh, right around 33 uh, to 37 a.d Uh, some believe it's off by about four years and uh and so within 35 years 38 years or so the jewish nation was dissolved 70 a.d it was jerusalem was totally smashed the jews were scattered to the four corners of the world and not brought back until 1948. And during that time they've kept their nationality that they're a Jew, but that's as far as it goes. To say exactly what tribe they're of, nobody can prove it according to how they had to prove it in Ezra and Nehemiah, they couldn't prove it today. They have a hunch, they have a feeling, you know, uh, they think so, but they cannot prove it. And so in this time it was proven, and you can read the book of Matthew and Luke, the genealogy was clearly there, it was proven that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Now, since then, again, the the Jewish identity isn't so necessary. We know they're a Jew. That's important for the end times prophecies to be fulfilled. But again, uh, the Lord is now saying, hey, I fulfilled it as we'll see in some other scriptures. Now, look there in Acts 15. There in verse 1, Paul is out preaching to Gentiles and he has Jews right on his hill coming up behind saying... Hey, you've got to be a Jew. You can't just be a Gentile Christian. You've got to be a Jewish proselyted Christian. That's the only kind of Christians there are, Jewish Christians. And so certain men, in verse 1, came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputes with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So this wasn't a doubtful thing. This wasn't a questionable thing. This was something worthy to have a uh, knock-down, drag-out fight over uh, this doctrinal issue of do Gentiles need to become Jewish to be saved? So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversions of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, so saved Pharisees, who believed, rose up saying, but it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So it's hard to give up those Pharisee ways. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, "'Men and brethren, you know what a good what, that a good while ago God chose among us "'that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word and the gospel and believe.'" Chapter 10 of Acts. "'So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit "'just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, "'purifying their hearts by faith.'" In chapter 10, while Peter was preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on them. They began speaking in tongues. And afterwards, Peter said, Well, seeing that not only did they believe, but they also have been baptized on the Holy Spirit, just as we had back at the day of Pentecost, he, he says in chapter 11. Uh, and then he went ahead and baptized them in water. He said, Well, you know, it wasn't really my decision, guys. They were all mad at him because he had been in a Gentile's house. And he says... God made the decision, not me. And so he's going back to that issue where the Lord really made it clear that Gentiles could be saved. They hadn't been circumcised. They had not kept any of the laws of Moses when the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were saved. They were baptized in water and, you know, signs sealed and delivered before the Lord. And none they didn't keep any of the laws of Moses. So he said, hey, the Lord made it clear to me at that point in time In verse 2, now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And that's the fact. The Jews never kept really the law, even though they had it. But we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent, listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them uh, people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the t- tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of the mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, and from things strangled, and from blood. So notice here, he says, here's the laws we should give them. Uh, Tell them to stay away from things that have been polluted by idols. Secondly, uh, sexual immorality. And thirdly, things that have been strangled. In other words, they they weren't bled right. They, you know, make sure their throats were cut and the the animal was drained of all its blood. And uh, make sure that they stay away from eating anything with blood at all. And he goes on and they write a letter and they send it out to the brothers. Now you say okay there's the laws but if you go over now to 1 Corinthians with me to chapter 6 Paul gives further explanation on this point In chapter 6 verse 12 and verse 13 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 and 13 All things are lawful for me but all things are not helpful All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, and stomachs for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and he goes on. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 10, if you would, verse 23. Turn just a few pages to the right there, to chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner, and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, now this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. For conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience I say, not your own, but that that of the other. For why, why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience, but if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Now Paul makes a great point there in verse 31, Therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greeks or to the Church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So we get an insight here from Paul back in Acts chapter 15 when he said, here's the laws. Don't eat anything sacrificed to idols. Keep from sexual immorality, but don't eat anything strangle or anything with blood. Now Paul says here, go ahead, eat it. If they put it before you, just eat it. If it's been strangled, don't ask. If it's been offered to an idol, don't ask. If there's blood with it, don't ask. Just eat whatever's put in front of you. Now, I really like that rule. People always say, do you like that? My problem is there's nothing I don't like. I like everything. But if somebody says, hey, you know, this was sacrificed to an idol. Now, don't eat it. Why? Because they mentioned it. And if they mentioned it, it must be an issue with them, right? Because if they didn't mention it then it's because it's not an issue to them. But the fact they mentioned it means it's an issue. So now that they made an issue, don't eat. Why? Because you don't want to stumble the Jew or the Greek or the Church of God. Now you say, Brian, do you know what country you're in? Yes, I'm in, I'm in America. I know. Well, why are you talking about this in such detail? It's not an issue in our country. We don't have meat sacrificed to idols and uh, you know, we don't have stuff strangled. or related. It's, it's not that big an issue with us. I don't think there's probably too many people here tonight that think they'd be spiritually wrong if they ate meat. It, it would bother them spiritually. So why are you making this an issue? Because I tell you this, it's going to become an issue worldwide again. Well, how would you know that? Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter four in verse one. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the Spirit expressly says, so Paul saying, Man, the Lord's really laying this heavy on my heart, that in the latter times which we are in, some will depart from the faith, giving heed. deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, that's going to be an issue, commanding, listen, to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. In the last days, when the Antichrist begins to rebuild the one world government, which I believe is probably going to be the European common market because that, the old Rome. If you go back to Daniel, the old Roman Empire is going to be revived, which is that area of Europe. And so, as it's going to get revived, there's going to be a one world military power. The UN is very similar to that. Now, as Clinton, be- I mean, as the Antichrist begins, <laughs> sorry, the Antichrist begins to pull together this one world government. <laughs> And then this one world power, military power, then there is also going to be the beginnings of a one world religion. And in that one world religion, there's going to be these things visible. It's going to be a lot of deception going on, but people are just going to be encouraged to live together instead of marrying, I believe. And also, they're going to be telling, you can only eat these certain foods. And it's going to be a real heavy issue. And he says very plainly there, foods that God gave us to eat. And we need to eat them with thanksgiving uh, because we know the truth. As Paul says in Romans, he goes, you know, I know God made the cow. It's that simple. God made it, and he made the cow for me to eat. I've got carnivorous teeth. I got perfect teeth for ripping flesh. God made me that way. So I like to rip flesh. Now, they're going to tell you that you're going to be spiritually not right with God if you eat such foods. Now, there's some people, you see, that would have had a hard time eating certain foods. And I could have understood why. You go into the marketplace and and you're walking around there at the swap meet and, and there is the Zeus burger stand. And you look and you smell it, man. And you say, what did you put in that hamburger? And he starts telling you all this mixture of spices. And, and then you reach over and you taste some of the barbecue sauce. Oh, man, I've got to have one of these barbecue Zeus burgers. But as you're getting ready to order, up comes this guy that used to be in that Zeus religion, and he says, "What are you doing? You can't support this cult. You can't support this group." And you say, "Man, it just smells so good, you know. And I, I, I taste the barbecue sauce, and I, you know, I really want to eat." But that that cow is it's. It's just horrible because they offered it to Zeus as a sacrifice unto him. And, and I was in that religion. It's pagan and they really, you know, it's just totally an oppressive religion. And my sister is still a prostitute in the Zeus temple. And, and for you, you eating a Zeus burger and, and to support that, it grieves me so much. And you say, hey, forget it. You know, I, I'll just go have an ice cream. You know, I, I, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to stumble him, you see. And so there are legitimate reasons people would have a hard time eating certain meats that were sacrificed to certain idols. Now, what they're going to come up with in the end times, I don't know. I don't know what the Antichrist religious system is going to be, but it's going to be one of those. So it's going to be an oppressive thing. So my philosophy is, eat as much meat as you can now. <laughs> before the pressure starts uh, becoming too much. But in actuality, he says there in the book of Romans, if somebody has, they're really bothered about it. It's an issue with them. Then Paul says, don't, don't eat. It's not worth it. He expounds on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 1, he expounds on this teaching out of Romans about not eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Now remember earlier, Paul said, For we know, that all these things have been just made by God. We know all things have been gi- been given to us by God. There is no Zeus. It's just a false thing, a false religion that's been made up by the man or by the devil. And there is no Zeus. They're just barbecuing this piece of meat. Uh, whatever religious thing they're chanting over it, we know it, it's nothing. All we know is this guy knows how to barbecue and knows how to make some good sauce. I mean, we know that. That, that meat is not in any way defiled because they said they're offering it to some God. So that's our knowledge. We're mature in our thinking. And in verse 2, And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. Verse 4, Therefore, concerning eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we know, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled but food does not commend us to god for neither if we eat are we the better nor if we do not eat we are the worse but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idolist temple, for not the conscience of him who is weak, be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So, a pretty heavy point here to be made. So Paul is saying, yeah, we can freely eat whatever we want. But if somebody for conscience sake says, hey, I just, I tried it, you know, I I ate some meat and I felt so carnal and I couldn't focus on God. But when I just eat vegetables, you know, my mind's clear, my body's clear, I don't have all those in my system I don't have all that meat clogging up my intestines and and I just I can pray better I can focus better I feel better without all that meat in my body and I just you know and I when I don't eat meat I just man I'm just able to walk in the spirit and I just say and then I ask him hey at at the banquet can I sit next to you because that way I can eat their meat (laughs)
1: you've got you've got to
0: think strategically but again we're not any the better if we do we're not any the worse if we don't the only way it can be worse is if we stumble our brother and so we've got to be very careful Uh, on certain issues. Now the big issue in our country wouldn't be eating meat, but alcohol. And I would say there's probably about a 99 percent chance if you drank that somebody would be stumbled because it's a very stumbling. We have a number of people in our church that are been delivered from alcohol And they're trying to live a sober life. And for you to drink alcohol or for them to smell alcohol, for them to go over to your house and open up your refrigerator and see some beers in there or something, it could be a very stumbling thing. Now, people say, oh, lighten up, Brian. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Well, how would you feel if you saw me walking back, your pastor of the church, walking back at a Padre game with a beer? You who drink. Are you full of joy that your pastor is drinking? I don't think so. I think even people who drink, it bothers them if their pastor drank. If you saw me going to the beach and and there I have my ice chest full of beer and I'm drinking my third one and and you're going, hey, you know, I I drink beer, but not that many, Brian. Well, I can really handle my alcohol. I mean, I've been drinking for years. the point I'm making is that the line, even if I drank one beer, the fact is, is that why not drink two, why not drink three? There's room. There's just in the issue of drinking, there's lots of room to stumble people. And it is a big issue in our country. And so, again, I, I I've made it clear with the leaders in our church not to drink, Period. Because, as he says there plainly in First Corinthians, you are going to sin against Christ. How? By wounding your brother's conscience. You sin against Christ. And so, again, I, I just think we need to not only not drink, but stay away from all appearances of evil. And so, if you have a virgin, strawberry daiquiri, and, and people walking by don't know that it's a virgin strawberry daiquiri. They think that you're drinking an alcoholic drink so just stay away from it it's not worth it food is for the stomach stomachs for food and all is going to perish and you really think about it from the heavenly perspective it's pretty stupid it's pretty dumb to think man i really need that man i really enjoy that man i don't that's a liberty i can't give up it's a very small thing to give up and so to be in leadership in this church absolutely do not want you drinking Why? it's just statistically the odds are you will stumble somebody and stumble them bad and they'll leave the church over it. Because when they're hurt by somebody in the church, they feel hurt by the whole church. And uh, again, I've seen this very thing happen where people have stumbled and left. Not in our church, but in another church I've seen it. And uh, it's just not a very pretty sight whatsoever. And so on those issues, again, if somebody is made to stumble, then you have sinned. Well, not because of the thing that you're drinking is sin, but because you made them stumble. Now, on the issue, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus makes a a very good point on this. In Matthew 15:10 And when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, "Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man." Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Legalistic people are always going to be offended at liberty. You're not going to get around that. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. In verse 15, Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. And Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So they were getting on to Jesus' disciples for not doing the ceremonial washings. In those days, they would uh, wash one hand, the other hand, and then they put their hands together and they tip their hands down this way and let the water drop off their pinkies. And then they tilt their hands back, let the water drip off the corner of their hand. And then they shake them off and then they eat. And the disciples, they just washed up and dug right in. They didn't do the traditional Pharisee hand wash. And Jesus talks on this subject and says, no, it's not what goes in the man, but it's that which proceeds from the heart. And so again, food. Food is not going to change your spiritual walk with the Lord. Eating meat, not eating meat, eating vegetables, only eating vegetables, eating sushi, not eating sushi, whatever, it's not going to to change your spiritual walk. Some believe that. I know the. we met in a Seventh-day Adventist church for about seven years. And the Seventh-day Adventist, man, you worship on Saturday. We're going to talk about that next week. And the other thing is, is you be, you be a vegetarian. That's it. Don't eat meat. You're okay with God. Show up on Saturday. Don't eat meat. You're okay. But it was always funny because I used to always like to go over and eat at Paradise Valley Hospital, which is a Seventh-day Adventist hospital. But if you ever go over there for breakfast in the morning, you'll see them eating the eggs, which in my mind could be meat. But they don't like that debate. (laughs) Secondly, is they fry up this stuff that looks exactly like bacon. But it's not. I mean, they got the outsides colored just brown. They got the, you know, white lines down the middle. They got it the right shape and and texture and the whole nine yards. And they do the same thing with hamburger. They do the same thing with meatloaf. There's no meat in any of it, but they actually color it brown. The color of meat on the meatloaf. It's just a bunch of, uh, vegetables and stuff mixed together it's it's pretty tasty um, a lot of people don't like it but again I, I I like everything so um put ketchup on it tastes just like regular and uh but i I used to always love to i i'd see the pastor over there sometimes, and I used to always like to chide him I'm eating bacon no 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 no, no, that's not bacon well. If eating bacon's wrong, wouldn't it be wrong to eat something that looks like bacon? <laughs> you see, there is this need, if you can't eat meat, at least there's this need to, to, to fool yourself.
1: <laughs>
0: and so it always was funny to me, and I love the Rib the Seventh-day Adventist because they always have a course at dinner time that looks like meat. It's not meat but they always make them look like me. So there is this psychological thing in their mind that makes them even feel like they didn't eat dinner if they didn't eat meat.
1: <laughs>
0: so really by their own confession, by making stuff look like meat, they're saying this is unnatural. If I don't eat something at least it looks like meat. So they're really out of their own confession saying we should all be eating meat. But in their minds, By eating meat, you are defiling yourself spiritually. And again, depending on the Seventh-day Adventists, some are sort of loose on it, you know. Ah, Occasional Big Mac, no big deal. But for most Seventh-day Adventists, they they really try to just stay with it. Now, Paul, on this point in Colossians chapter 2, the last verse, we're going to look on this tonight. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding of festivals or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. We'll get into that next week. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows in the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations do not touch, do not taste, do not handle? which all concern things which perish in the using according to the commandment and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion. That's the perfect definition for the Seventh-day Adventist right there. It's an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion of false humility and neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Do you understand that? It is of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So those people who say, man, if you are a vegetarian, it'll help you keep your flesh under, they're only fooling themselves. The sin issue goes much deeper than what goes in your mouth. It's not going to help you to eat vegetables only to stop living a sinful life. Because the issue is of the heart. For a time, for a time, I think there, in that religion, in that religious mentality, I'm only eating vegetables, I think there is a period of time that will make you feel more spiritual. And it will even feel, because you're being diligent and learning about how to eat right, it takes a lot to learn how to be a vegetarian. You've got to learn a lot to make sure you get enough protein within uh, the things you can eat. It's a very difficult thing to do. And people often get malnutrition when they're doing it if they don't know if they don't do it right. And uh, so they're so busy doing this, they're so caught up and they're studying so much and they're reading so much and they're putting so much energy into being a vegetarian. I think for a time, they are distracted from sin. Because they're reading all this book about vegetables and and they're not tempted to go out and lust. They're not tempted to covet. They're reading all this information on, you know, how to have a balanced diet. And so for a time, they are distracted and they're not sinning like they once was. But once they learn how to do the vegetarian thing, they're going to find that those old sinful desires come right back. And so it's a false idea. It's a false concept and it does not help against the body now again far as fasting and that's a whole nother issue there is a time if you're going to do a long fast you want to just eat vegetables and then go to vegetable juices and then fruit juices cleanse your body it helps you so when your intestines start kicking out all that poison and and so forth that you don't get real sick filling and during that time of just eating vegetables, I will have to admit, it is a wonderful time in the Lord. It's as if I am fasting, and so really I am fasting. I'm fasting for a period of time, meat, staying away from it because it does take a long time to uh, digest in your body. Um, steak, I think it's in your body for about three days. Some depend on the, the cut. Some cuts that could be in your body is up to five days, which isn't very healthy. And then you get down to chicken it stays in your body two or three days. Um, And then, uh, you know, fish and so forth, it's in your your body for a day. And so you don't want that meat in there as you're trying to fast, trying to also get out of your body. That would be, could be a harmful thing. But during that time when I'm eating just vegetables and just drinking juices, I, I would say that my spiritual senses are heightened and that I'm my body doesn't feel full. You know, it's like after you eat Chinese food, you're hungry an hour later. You know, you you don't feel stuffed filling, and it does uh, allow you, at least in my experience, it does make you more sensitive to the things of God. So, again, I think all things with moderation, right? Don't go out now tonight, everybody's going, man, Black Angus, I'm ready to get a big, giant cut of meat, man, just... Try out my freedom. You know, well, you might have a small portion and make sure they cook all that E. coli out of it first, you know. (laughs) Looking back at Romans and ending here tonight. Again in verse 2, For one believes he may eat all things. I happen to be one of those. When I go to foreign countries, I say, don't tell me what it is. Just put it on my plate. I'll eat it, man. But he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let him not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. So if you're here tonight going, man, I... I think you're really sending people down the wrong trail with all that meat talk, Brian. There's a few things you need to know about meat that you don't know about. And, and you want to come up and educate me tonight. Go ahead. I'm always willing to learn. But don't despise me. Don't despise me because I eat meat. And receive me. And why? Because God's received me. We get to heaven. The Lord's not going to go now. How much cow did you eat? You know, how much, how much chicken did you eat? Oh, wow. You know, you should have ate more fish. You'd have more reward in heaven. Um, it's not going to be an issue. God, when, we get, when we stand before the Lord, it's not going to matter what we ate. It's not going to be an issue. And in verse 4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So if you eat meat, do it to the Lord, God will make you stand. He'll keep you walking with the Lord. If you only eat vegetables, then do it as unto the Lord, and God will help you to stand if you're a a vegetarian. But again, it doesn't make you more spiritual, so be careful. If you think by denying yourself certain foods that you have raised up an elevation, spiritually uh... it's not true even if you feel like it it's not a truth next week we're going to finish up this chapter and uh... looking at the observant of the seventh day or what day do we worship on and then we're gonna look again uh, at some important verses at the very end on faith of that chapter and then we'll be heading into chapter fifteen the following week and lord we thank you for your word tonight and we do ask in jesus name, as we put our antennas up, looking at these last days, as man begins to try to make us not eat things that you've made for us to eat, their heart and their mind and their conscience being seared, trying to take us into that self-imposed religion, that false humility, that supposed neglect of the body that's going to help them spiritually and doesn't. Lord, help us, God, to see things clearly. And Lord, help us to know how much to eat and how much not to eat, and what to eat and what not to eat. For many here tonight, Lord, caffeine's messing them up. For many here tonight, they're overeating. For many here tonight, Lord, they drink too many Cokes or whatever, and and you're speaking to them for their body's sake, to be strong so they can serve you. And let us hear your voice, and then let us keep our convictions to ourselves. Whatever it is you speak to us, that it's not to... Put it on everybody else. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Wake us up to know your heart, to know your will. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you all.